Hey, this is Lily Barouette, co-pastor of Live Church, and this is our podcast. Our mission is to awaken the drive, compassion, and love in our community. Together, we can live in victory every day. Here's today's message. We're going to Isaiah 49, verse 6. Let me hear it. Amen. When you get there. Okay. It reads. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant. To restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this moment that you have given us to get into your word. I ask that in this moment, that is all of you and none of me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You guys may be seated. (laughs) All right, so the reason I chose that verse is because last year, Thanksgiving, um, a lot of our friends and family got together to play football. And after playing football, like anyone that knows my family, like if it's like two or multiple of us, no matter what the conversation is, we're gonna end up talking about God, the Bible, salvation, like it's just gonna happen. It don't matter if we was talking about food earlier, best believe sooner or later we're gonna start talking about fasting and a whole bunch of other things. And as the conversation went on, this one guy said that salvation is only for the Jews. And I was like, what? I'm like, John 3.16 said he died for the whole world. And he, he's basically saying like, no, it's only for the Jews. I'm like, so that means nobody else could get saved. He said, no. I said, so white people, they all going to hell. He said, yep. I said, Asians, they all going to hell. He said, yep. I'm like, this kid crazy. And it's crazy. Like, usually you only see stuff like this on YouTube, right? So it was so shocking to me to really finally meet someone that thinks like this. And I was giving them scripture. I'm like, okay, what about Jesus and the Samaritan women? Or what about the book of Acts? Or what about when Paul says to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. That, you know, they all might be saved. And he's still adamant about his position. And the craziest part about everything he was saying was he actually had a point, right? If you get into the Old Testament, you see that like almost everywhere where the prophets speak, it's always about Israel being God's people and, you know, God having a covenant with their forefathers and continuously, right? But unfortunately, he didn't get the memo that that love is for everyone now. So um, that brings me to my first point, that God had to make sure his home was clean before stepping out. John 4, 22 to 23 says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, not the true Jews, 
not the true Israelites, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. So right there, Jesus affirms that salvation is through the Jews because they were God's original people. But he always had a plan for the Gentiles too. There will be a time, and that time has come, that you will no longer be an outcast. For the house of Israel has been redeemed, and salvation has opened up to the whole world, that those who love the Father may worship in spirit and in truth. Now you may be questioning, why was it important to basically God to redeem Israel before, you know, the Gentiles had a chance? First, because it's hypocritical. How are you trying to clean around someone else, but around you was dirty, which was Israel. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 4 to 5, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now the speck in that instance was Israel. Secondly, God is a God of order. Certain things can't take place if something else hasn't been done yet. For example, don't you think that God could have just freed the, um, the Israelites from Egypt? Like, you know, just create a pathway, like run that way, and I'm going to strike the Egyptians as they, run over, as, they ran, as they run after you. But God had to show his power to the Israelites and the Egyptians by hardening Pharaoh's heart. And ultimately, he had to show them the power of the blood of the lamb. Not the lamb they slaughtered and put the blood on the door frames when the spirit of death came around, but the lamb of God that was to come. We all know God is a fair judge. He is a righteous judge and a God of order. Look all around you. Everything was created in order. If we get an inch closer to the sun, we're all burned alive. If we get an inch further away from the sun, were freeze to death. So in creation in itself, you'll see how complex everything is. And at that time, I'm like, okay, so why couldn't God, you know, place the chosen one in the Gentiles since the Israelites was already tripping? You feel me? It's like, okay, you're going to send Jesus down. He's a Jew. And he's supposed to, you know, represent something new that the Jews not used to. Whereas the Gentiles, you know, they're already an outcast. They could have came as the light, you know, transformed the Jews and everybody, you know, be a happy story or anything different, right? And then this verse came to mind. Isaiah 40, 12 to 14. And it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weigh the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And right there, I'm like, okay, that shows to not question God's methods, to just plainly see what he's done and see how he's done it. 
Then it brings me to my second point. It came to pass. What came to pass? The free gift of salvation reaching the ends of the earth. Jesus said in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. When Jesus said greater, he didn't mean, oh, you know, I'll raise the dead. You might cure cancer or you might, you know, heal world hunger or whatever the case may be. But he meant greater in quantity, not quality, that there would be a, a bunch of people that came to believe and spread the gospel from nation to nation and that everybody would be saved. We also see God affirming the sanctification of the Gentiles in the books of Acts, which is one of my favorite stories. Cornelius, a centurion, which were Roman officers, was spoken to by an angel of the Lord, telling him to call Peter. At the same time, Peter was experiencing some things himself. He fell into a trance where he seen reptiles and birds. God told him to kill and eat. Peter said, I can't eat anything that's not clean. For those that don't know, you know, um, Jewish law and tradition, they were very strict on things that they can't eat, um, things they can't wear, for example, um, bacon or polyester, or literally it was down to the T of what they can and can't do. And God told him, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. In the beginning of Acts, the Bible um, talks about Cornelius as a um, devout and God-fearing man. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius sent out um, his servants to Peter and Joppa to bring him as the angel of the Lord told him. And when they reached to Joppa to pick up Peter, they brought him back to Cornelius in Caesarea. When Peter got there in Acts 10, 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Right there it shows us that, you know, the Gentiles, as long as they are God-fearing, they're devout, they're praying regularly, and ultimately they believe and have faith that they are no longer impure. And the only event that transpired between the Gentiles now being, you know, referred to clean is the death of Jesus. And to end it off, Paul says this in Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers 
together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Even Paul was able to, you know, realize that this is a mystery. Like, this Jesus guy, like, out of all the craziest things he's done, this has to be the craziest. Like, one second the Gentiles are cast off. They're not pure. They're not one of us. Now, all of a sudden, they have the same promises as us. They have the same inheritance as us. The ultimate love story where God's creation fell and our Heavenly Father sacrificed his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He did it meticulously and orderly, cleaning up, the, cleaning up Israel that through them the world will have salvation. Romeo and Juliet ain't got nothing on this love story. <laughs> um, the reason I did it like that is when speaking about the gospel, everyone usually goes straight to, you know, John. You know, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And, you know, go about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and how he loved us. But it's like, in that instance, it's like, you know, God just looked at Jesus like, yo, you know, it's about that time. Suit up. Them boys down there need you. Like, you know, go make it happen. And it, it didn't happen like that. You know, this, the gospel was always something that was in place the second man fell. You know, God did it in a specific order. And as you read the Old Testament, he, he gives you hints on how not only Israel would be redeemed, but the whole world. There's um, some scholars actually believe that there's about 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, from his birth, his um, resurrection, his death, um, his ministry, literally everything. And we can, you know, see that as, you know, when the wise men came to see him, um, the lineage of David and Abraham, how, you know, kept going, <laughs> you know. And I wanted to, you know, to basically show you guys on how this was something that was constructed from the beginning. And that, you know, every detail is worth it when it comes to this love story. That love story of redemption correlates directly to my life. I first got saved, I want to say seventh grade. The moment I got saved, like you can ask anybody that knew me at that time, I was probably one of the most radical Christians you can ever come in contact with. Like, I would hear somebody curse, and I'm like, oh my God, you going to hell. You, you cursing? And then one day, um, my friends told my brother, like, yo, this kid going around the whole school telling everybody they're going to hell. And my brother like, yo, you can't be doing that. <laughs> you can't be telling people they about to go to hell just for cursing. And I'm like, yo, but they sinning, like, we're not supposed to be sinning. And then he showed me the correct way to, you know, go about it. Um, I want to say up until 11th grade, that's when um, middle ending of 11th grade, that's when um, my family began to go through, you know, financial hardships. Um, my mother was sick at that moment, so she wasn't able to work. Um, my brother had three kids himself to take care of, plus the house. My other brother, you know, he had a house to take care of, so it would literally be days where me and my twin brother didn't eat because we're the youngest ones. Because everybody else, you know, had to make sure that, you know, their children, their lives are happening. And, you know, 
that basically left us to fend for ourselves. Um, and usually, you know, being from Miami, the number one, you know, way to provide, you know, number one source of income is scamming. <laughs> and all it takes is one sin. One sin for you to completely derail. And it's crazy. When I first started scamming, I was still reading my Bible. I was still listening to worship music. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I just need to make some quick money. Then, God, I'm, you know, I'm back to you. And it did not go that way. So at that moment, it was like, you know, you had to pick a side. So you can't. One thing my brother always told me was, if you put chocolate milk and white milk, it won't be white anymore. Um, <laughs> and at that, you know, around that time, then I started listening to more secular music. I started cursing more. And by that time, you know, I was completely derailed. And after, you know, indulging into sin in its entirety, I'm like, shoot, I'm already knee deep. I might as well do what everybody else is doing. <laughs> which was um which was premarital sex. <laughs> this this way this way of living continued for about three years. In those three years, I was a thief, sexually immoral, greedy, a porn addict, and I mean real bad. Like It was so bad, I didn't even have to be in the mood to do it. It was like just a daily routine. Like, okay, I woke up, you know, it's time to do it, right? <laughs> um... I never did drugs, thank God. <laughs> but um, <laughs> scamming was my drug. You know, that was the thing that for some reason, no matter how hard I tried, you know, I couldn't put it down. Like, and it was so crazy. It was to the point, it wasn't even about the money anymore. It was just like the high that fast living gets you. Like, you know, money coming in fast, cars, the attention, you know, having things that people at my age didn't have. Um, I got arrested in 2017. I did three days in jail. Um, when I got out, you know, the whole case went by. Um, I took a plea deal to go on probation. And at that time, I didn't know that if you were an immigrant, as soon as you signed a plea deal, immigration coming to get you. So six months later, immigration came, picked me up. Um, I did two weeks of immigration, um, bonded out, and if that, you feel me, didn't teach me my lesson, literally two months later, after getting out of immigration, on our way, coming back from Georgia, from scamming, I got arrested again. I was in Martin County Jail, and when they first booked me in, and, you know, I sat in my bunk, they gave me my clothes and everything, I was literally just thinking to myself, like, yo, in a year, and year and a half, I literally been to like three different jails. 
And growing up, you know, I was A plus student. Literally everybody that came in contact with me always used to tell me on, you know, how great I'd be, you know, go to college. To the point where when I was in the fifth grade, I told myself, okay, I'm either gonna go Yale or Harvard, you know, which, whichever one I want to do at that time. And now I'm sitting in county jail. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's right. <laughs> and um, one day while I was in Martin County Jail, they called for Bible study. And I was like, okay, you know, there's nothing to do in here. I'm bored out of my mind. I'm like, I just need to get out of here. Um, I went to, uh, went to Bible study. They gave us Bibles. And the guy that I was supposed to talk before he came up, I was basically scrolling through the Bible, you know, going through memories of when I used to read the Bible. And I landed on Ephesians 4.28, which says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. After reading that, I just started crying. I'm in tears on the page and awe. And I kid you not, jail is the last place you want to be crying. Like, you don't want to see these grown men seeing you cry because, well, that's embarrassing. And it was just, you know, shocking to me on how easy it was. Like, okay, you know, you used to be a thief, but, you know, just stop stealing. But my mind wasn't working in that way. You know, I continuously convicted myself like, yo, I did too much. There's no way I could go back to God and look him in his face and tell him I'm sorry. You know, I, I knew what I was doing the whole time. Even, and it's like, it's like, you know, you, you hear people say, you know, David, he was an adulterer. Paul was a murderer. But it's like, I ain't see them boys do nothing to that. But I see myself doing what I was doing. And when I read that verse, it was literally at that moment I rededicated my life to God. Um, after that happened, um, the charges that they charged me with, it got dropped. <laughs> but immigration came and got me again. <laughs> And I tell you this, and it's crazy, the, the deportation that came and got me, I kid you not, he hate immigrants so much. Like, he was looking at me like, yeah, that plane getting ready for you. You're going to be in your country by tomorrow. I'm like, damn, this kid cold. Dog, dog don't want me here for real. Um, so they took me back to immigration. I did seven months of immigration. But while I was in immigration, you know, I was back to reading my Bible, um, regularly. I literally used to minister to the, the, the um, other detainees that was there with me. And one day, one of them asked me, like, yo, you sure you're supposed to be here? Like, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> you over here preaching to us? Like, I'm like, yo, hey, I'm here, though. I ain't going to be here for long. And I always used to tell them that. Like, the first month I got there, I always used to tell them, like, yo, I'll be gone next month, next month. And then one day my bunkie woke up like, yo, you're supposed to be gone four months ago. You still here? I'm like, hey, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I was there for a total of seven months. Um, I left. 
county jail, came and picked me back up. I did another two months in the county jail, and then um, I got out. When I got out, I was still struggling with the um, scamming and the porn addiction. Well, I got out in March 2019. But one day in December 2019, I literally locked myself in my room. And I, that was literally like the first time throughout my whole Christian life, I can honestly say I surrendered completely to God. Like, I cried out. I was like, yo, I'm tired of dealing with the same sin. I'm tired of, you know, always falling to the same thing. And it's crazy. I actually had a worldly friend that gave me that advice. You feel me? I was telling them about my, you know, struggles and the stuff I was dealing with. And she was like, okay, you need to stop trying to, you know, Control it yourself. Just give it to God. I'm like, yo, you're right. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. And that day, I was completely delivered. Like, I never touched anything illegal from December 19th to this day. And every stronghold that was on my life that, at that moment that I was dealing with completely fell off. Today, I'm happily married. <laughs> With um, successful businesses, um, and my whole family is saved, and I've watched God provide for me so much for me and take me places I did not think that I was going to go. And it's like, <laughs> at the position I am in now, you know, I always tell myself I wish I could go back to my younger self and tell me like, yo, be patient, have faith, God is gonna provide. Getting saved was literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. I was able to experience something a lot of people die and don't get to experience. Direct contact with our creator, a sense of peace and joy, and most importantly, freedom. Today, if you're not saved, you can have that same feeling. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to give, you know, some people that their heart is feeling heavy and, you know, they're tired of dealing with the same thing. They, they know that there's a God out there. They know that there's greater purpose in their life. They know that, you know, the way they've been living is wrong. They, they feel the conviction. They, they know it's time, but, you know, like, okay, I'll give my life to God this week. The week came. They didn't do it. I'll give my life to God next week. Next week came. They didn't do it. And I can honestly say I fear for you because I was literally the same way. It took for my brother to literally look at me with, threatening eyes, and tell me to go up to that altar and get saved for me to do it. And it completely changed my life. And now you guys can have that same feeling. For those that heard the message and can correlate to my story or correlate to the Gentiles that felt cast off that felt like they weren't God's people. 
Today you have heard that God has redeemed not only Israel, but the whole world. That you no longer have to be from a specific race or a specific group of people. But as long as you believe and as long as you confess that you too can have a chance at salvation and eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are feeling that way, but you know, you're worried about the person next to you, you're worried about what they're you know, thinking or how they're gonna look at you or how, how awkward the situation must be. Like I said, I, I felt the same way. You know, your heart start beating, your legs get heavy, like you, you wanna come up to the altar, but you just can't, like, you can't move. You feel like a statue, but you need to fight that feeling because this is life or death. Literally anybody can tell you a story of a friend or a family whose life was cut short, whether through gun violence or a car accident or an accidental death. And one thing I could say is nothing in life is guaranteed. For you to make it home tonight is not guaranteed. For you to see 80 years old is not guaranteed. For you to see next week is not guaranteed. There's a, um, a verse in James, I'm paraphrasing, where it says, to not speak about the future because you don't even know what the future holds. From dust you was formed to dust you will be returned. Nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows the time when it'll be the last breath. But one thing I can guarantee you is that if your faith and your hope is in Jesus, you don't have no worries. Now it's not to, to be fearful of, okay, you know, I'll just get saved because I don't wanna go to hell. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. You have a chance to experience the supernatural it's to the point where a lot of people can attest to this too that's been in the faith in a long time. It's like, you'll see a crippled person start walking and you, you think it's regular. While everybody else is going crazy, like, yeah, I know God was gonna do that. You know, it's like my 100th time seeing that, you know. I've been seeing the supernatural. And even in myself, it was one day I brought up my wife up here for the church to pray for her and after the church prayed for her, she had a life-threatening disease where she had to take probably two or four pills a day. And the next time she went, she went to that doctor, the doctor's like, I don't know what you're talking about. We see no signs of this disease. They must have been confused. If you're ready to experience the supernatural, if you're ready to experience direct contact with our creator, to finally give up, you know, temporal pleasures and receive 
eternal joy and peace and freedom. You can shoot up your hand so you can pray a prayer that will change the rest of your life. Like I said before, do not worry about who's next to you, whether their eyes are open or to look to see who threw up their hands. Right now, this moment is only with you and God. Judgment day will be for everyone and you will be by yourself. You won't be able to worry who's next to you or what they have to say. Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all. And in your heart, if you made the decision, that will completely change the rest of your life. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience your truth. Right now in this moment, I want to confess that I am a sinner and I need you. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again on the third day, defeating death and defeating the enemy. I make Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who generously support this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. Join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give by visiting us at livechurch.miami. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this one.